Hey there, we at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Welcome to the OBR Newswire podcast. It's your Thursday, April 30th edition. Jake Burns, host of the show. Want to thank our sponsors over at betonline.ag who have the match bonus going right now. All you have to do is use that promo code BLUEWIRE to get that match bonus. You can bet on anything going right now. Madden 20 simulations, weather, stock market, survivor, a whole bunch of different shows. If you need to get your gambling fixed, got the poker, got the blackjack, 24 hours a day. They trust us here at Blue Wire, and we trust them at betonline.ag. Use that promo code BLUEWIRE and go make yourself some money. Okay, today's show's packed. We've got a lot of fun stuff going on, a really good conversation with our guest. We're going to have on Brent Sobleski from Bleacher Report, who's taking on a really fun expanded role with us here at the OBR. He's been with the OBR forever, has not done much writing here, really been in the forums, chatting with people, uh, giving his football insight, and he has expanded his role and will be doing more and more with us. So make sure you read the the article that we are going to reference in this interview, which is his top 30 uh, prospects going into next year. Guys to keep your eye on when football season comes around, college football season, whenever that does happen. Uh, a good list of 30 players to keep your eye on and some names the Browns will certainly be interested in there. Uh, you know, guys that are positions such as defensive end, potentially wide receiver that they might be looking for early in next year's draft. Great piece. Going to have Brent on. He does great work again at Bleacher Report. Make sure you follow him and uh, check out his work at Bleacher Report and check out his first article with us, again, on those top 30 prospects. Before we get over to our interview with Brent, we are going to talk to you real quick about Blue Chew. They're the first ever chewable male enhancement pill. Same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. If you need this sort of stuff, it's the most discreet and fastest way to take care of it. You don't have to go to a doctor's office or a pharmacy. You can get it delivered right to your door after a consultation. Blue Chew's online physicians free of cost. And again, once you're approved, it'll be delivered right to your door in discreet packaging. And it'll be, uh, you know, nothing anybody needs to know about. So a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com. Get your first order for free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Let's get over to our interview with Brent Soboleski. I was chatting with Sobo off the air here about, you know, the Packers having this widely held terrible draft class and how refreshing it is for the Browns to not be the butt of all the NFL jokes. So um, we're going to dive into his thoughts on this this draft class. And specifically, Sobo, off the bat here, I want to hear which favorite pick was of any of the picks. Which one did you like? Uh, you come away liking the most? I was downright giddy with the Nick Harris selection in, in round five for multiple reasons. First of all, when we talk about schematic fit, I couldn't think of a better one throughout this entire process for the Cleveland Browns. I'm not just talking about the offensive tackles or, uh, or the offensive line. I'm talking about all the positions and what you are looking for as a center in the, out, in the wide zone scheme that was made famous by the Shanahan's and Alex Gibbs, the godfather zone blocking. His lateral agility is absolutely outstanding, his ability to get to the second level. This is someone that a year or two down the line, if they decide to move on from J.C. Treader, can become a cornerstone, uh, uh, snapping the ball to Baker Mayfield, or if Wyatt Teller and, and or Drew Forbes 
kind of falter a little bit in the right guard competition, and you can move him over there because he started double-digit games at guard as well. So I just absolutely love the way he fits that system. And plus, he's a great kid. If you saw one of his teammates tweeted that expect him to become the mayor of Cleveland in short order, that's the type of personality and outgoing person he is overall. So I think that's just a wonderful fit for the Cleveland Browns and what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, especially, you know, great, as I've mentioned, people have brought that one up, and especially great when you consider getting him for free and the value of getting that pick and just moving three spots, still getting Grant mm-hmm. Delp and all that stuff aligns beautifully. Uh, and I thought, I've made this point too, so, but to some people uh, about how, you know, we have people complain about Sashi Brown, about the, the, the idea that they could never turn down a trade-back opportunity if it was there. And then you had John Dorsey, who's on the, the flip side of that, who would trade up and trade away things and go after things zealously as he possibly could. And then this is kind of like the perfect mesh of that, right? They sit at pick 10, even though offers are on the table, they take their tackle. But then in the later rounds, they find opportunities to gather, right? Find an opportunity to pick up that extra fifth round pick, beautifully moving only down three spots, 74, move down 10 spots, 14 spots actually, and uh, pick up an extra third next year to move it up to 10 picks the following year. And I think that's kind of cool that we've all talked about Andrew Berry being this you know, blending of traditional scout and, um, you know, forward-thinking front office that's analytically driven. It was, it was kind of cool to see it play out where, you know, he kind of did a little bit of both and, and probably met an, a nice happy medium there. What did you think? Well, what I found fascinating is in those in those trade-down situations, not only did you give value for the trade onto itself, but if you look at the way that the draft ended up stacking between those two points, they essentially got the same players they would have gotten if they stayed put at, at, at their original selection. So if you go from 41 to four, 44, you get Grand Delta, no safeties selected between the two two picks sandwiched between those two points. And then, and I know it's a huge contention point, it's not necessarily the value that they got from moving down from 74, down 14 spots. It's looking at it from the Cleveland's point of view. Yes, you passed on Zach Bond. And you got your your off ball linebacker at ninety seven. So then on top of it, you add Jordan Elliott. So you there was one defensive tackle that went between Bond and and Elliott, and there was no true off ball linebackers from seventy four to ninety seven. And so you're still getting the players you essentially wanted, but you're adding the, the extra value of the of the draft picks as well. And that's really where you're seeing the 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 approach really working in Andrew Barry's favor. And that to me is a telltale sign of, of a good general manager taking what's given to him and then maximizing that value. Agreed. Very much agreed. You're talking about pick 97 there, Jacob Phillips, uh, most of the OBR staff, Fred, um, you know, Jared and, and, and um, you know, Stephen on the other day is uh, heading into Monday as well. We're all pretty surprised by that pick at 97. Was that the most surprising and or sort of questionable? I know it's tough to be super questionable at this point, but kind of did those two mesh for, for, for Jacob Phillips, or did you have somebody else that caught you by surprise? Well, it's yes, it was certainly the the most questionable. And as I joked before we came on the air, if, if your only complaint about a draft class is a late third-round pick, then you're doing something right. Mm. And <laughs> compared to previous Browns draft classes where they'll start good and it falls apart or things just didn't go their way in certain selections, everything seemed to fall in the team's favor, even if you're not a Jacob Phillips fan. Now, for example, Malik Harrison went one pick later. I don't care that it was to the Baltimore Ravens. I simply had Phil- or Harrison as a higher-rated prospect than Jacob Phillips, and I felt he could come in and be just as good, if not better. We'll see 
depending on their situations. And that, that's where the crux of it is to me, value. Because when you're looking at this year's draft class, that was the one selection where I can't say, at least subjectively, based on what my evaluations throughout the entire year, the Browns didn't get great value. That was the one quote-unquote reach based on what they need at the position. And that's, and that's something different than we need to discuss, Jake, is because when you're looking at this, I mentioned it earlier, there was no true off-ball linebackers that went from between 74 and 97. I want to stress that. And I'm not trying to rationalize the pick. I'm just trying to provide a point of view how Cleveland is looking at this. Zach Bond was a good value at 74, but was he a good value to Cleveland? And that's not necessarily the case. Just because the Saints made a good selection doesn't mean the Browns made the wrong decision by trading down. There's a very different skill set between a Bond and Phillips. Bond is an edge rusher who has the capability of dropping back and playing in coverage. So think of an Anthony Barr. Now, if you're looking at Cleveland, they were looking for a true Mike or Will who not only has experience running a defense, but can play downhill and be a strong run defender. See, the one thing about Phillips, even at 229 pounds, is he's going to fill gaps, and he's a secure tackler. And those two things were stressed, along with the intelligence to run a defense, if needed, for that position. And so when you look at it that way, instead of just saying, well, that's a linebacker, they didn't take that linebacker, but they took a linebacker later, it's a far more nuanced conversation, even if you preferred someone like Harrison over Phillips. I'm with you. It's it's going to be interesting to see, A, how they use him, and B, how it ultimately pans out, considering, like you said, who was picked behind him and how that can you know be viewed from a, from a lens over the, over the course of years and whose career becomes more productive. And you know, hopefully Cleveland just gives these guys these, these picks here. We've, we've tried to analyze and rationalize these draft choices for years, and it's like, man, we don't give these guys enough of a chance to prove themselves in a system with continuity. So we'll hope that that happens and um, keep our fingers crossed there. We'll kind of end the, the, the draft chatter here, this year's draft class chatter, with anybody that had a certain pick, and maybe this even ties into what we were just talking about, um, anybody at a certain pick you would wish they'd come away with at all? Well, we all have preferences, and that's something we've discussed for months leading up to this draft, specifically the offensive tackle class. I mean, how many times you, – we talk all the time on social media, Jake. How many times have I said these tackles, all four to six, depending on how you had them graded, were so similar in, in talent ability that it's just a matter of preference on who you want and, and how high you're willing to take them. You know, you're looking at schematic fit. You're looking at – the individual you're talking about your evaluation internally and so when I looked at what Cleveland did and, and this isn't a knock on what they actually did because I'm quite happy with their overall entire draft I look in the first round at Jedrick Wills and I look in the second round at Grant Delpit I simply had Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield rated higher doesn't mean they're going to end up being better players but in this case I simply preferred them mm-hmm. Looking at what they did, I think those two players that they ultimately selected could step in immediately and be big-time contributors. That's just my personal preference when it comes to those two positions. Noted, and it'll be interesting to see how they, they balance. I know I just talked about what Phillips compares to, to, to Harrison over his career and how, how Cleveland compares to Tampa Bay, right? Passing on a tackle that they take a couple picks later that you could have had at 10, ultimately passing on Winfield for Delpit. Those two drafts will closely mirror each other. We'll see which one turns out better down the line. I think those two prospects against each other are fascinating because I would have been fine with either direction, to be honest. And uh, it was all about what fit each team felt was best. So good stuff on that draft. Uh, we're going to actually start immediately turning our attention to 
Um, <laughs> you know, the 2021 draft, it's going to, we got to focus somewhere. We have no OTAs. We have no mini camps to discuss. So we'll talk about the third. You put out a list on the OBR. I'd encourage everybody to go read it um, about the 30 best prospects heading into the 21 draft class. So we'll talk about Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence in a minute, but give me some guys who stand out for you. I know I could, you could take the mic here for about 30 minutes, but kind of give me some guys who you think stand out um, and in particular, maybe Cleveland's going to pay attention to going into next year. Oh, now you had to put that caveat because what I was going to state immediately, and this is something that'd be cool from a, uh, a compare and contrast point of view, is looking at where Cleveland stands based on what they acquired in this off season and what's relative to those positions next off season. And I'm, and I'm uh-huh. stating this because the two positions that I noted in in the piece that are very very strong next year, at least top heavy, are offensive tackle once again and wide receiver. And so when you come away with Jedrick Wills, and then in the sixth round you also have Donovan Peoples-Jones, who you're adding to the roster as well, you're looking at what could have been the alternative. And I'm not saying that there would have been better off waiting and addressing those positions, but it's just relative to the talent year in and year out. So, for example, speaking about these offensive tackles this year, I've stated numerous times and on the records saying it was a matter of preference. Well, the thing, the reason why it was a matter of preference is there was no quote-unquote elite talent at the position. So if you were thinking you're, you're getting Joe Thomas or Jonathan Ogden or Walter Jones in the first round this year, the odds of that actually happening are, aren't very high. Next year, though, if you have a guy like Panay Sewell from Oregon, who is my number one overall talent and probably the best offensive tackle prospect we've seen in, I don't know, a decade plus, then you start to wonder what could it, when you compare that person's ability to the actual player the team drafted. And I, I'll find that to be interesting throughout this entire process, simply because you don't know exactly how the transition is going to go. As much as we all like Jedrick Wills as a player, it's not a given that he's going to be the same exact player as he says Alabama. I'm not trying to slight him again, but he's making that transition from right to left. And we know that it's possible, and he can be a very high-output high type of player at that position. At the same time, it's not automatic. And he said it himself, it's like wiping your butt with the opposite hand. It takes time. And so we'll see how he progresses throughout this entire issue. I'm curious because we constantly hear the rumors, and it's not just rumors and innuendo, but you look at the contract situations of Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry over the next two, three years. So now you have to look at top wide receiver prospects. You look at Jamar Chase from LSU. You look at Clemson from – or excuse me, Justin Ross from Clemson. You look at – Guys, Jalen Waddle and, and, and Smith from Alabama. You throw in uh, Chris Olave from Ohio State. These are all names that could be potential first-round picks that maybe in the long run you decide to make that selection and move on from one of your high-priced uh, veteran wide receivers. So to me, that that's what's going to be interesting, the compare and contrast from 2020 to 2021. I'm with you. And again, guys, I encourage you to go read up on some of these prospects so you get familiar with their names. Hopefully we have a college football season that stays on track and uh, we can see some of these guys in action. We will see. There's a lot to be determined. There's a lot to go on with the supplemental draft, possibly. Uh, A lot of cards to be played. Quickly here, Sobo, as we wrap this up, give me your reason you like Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence heading into the season. Well, what I wrote is when you were looking at the position today, it's very different than when I started evaluating quarterbacks in the NFL draft in 2004. So in that class, you had Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger. 
Those, the way those guys play the game, yes, two of them are still around, but it's not the way you look to evaluate and add to your offense in today's game, which is now dominated by Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson. You need to, the ability to create outside of structure. You need to be able to have that playmaking ability when you can't win from the pocket. And as a young quarterback, you're not always going to win from the pocket. And when you see the inconsistency within Trevor Lawrence, and comparative to Justin Fields, which one do you think has the better overall feel for what teams are going to try to do long-term? And I have Fields just slightly higher for two reasons. One, I look at his athleticism and think that he can add more to an offense, and I'm not saying that Trevor Lawrence isn't, on a, or isn't athletic because obviously he, he ripped through Ohio State defense running the football. But Fields is a different type of athlete than Lawrence is. And second of all, the efficiency that you saw within Ohio State's offense. We don't, Jake, you're a former quarterback. We downplay just executing properly so to such an extent that it's almost like, well, he should make that throw. He should make that read. He should do those things. That's what you're supposed to do at the position, and you shouldn't necessarily look beyond them doing it at a consistent level. And Justin did those things last year at Ohio State, whereas Trevor Lawrence didn't as a passer. I mean, you look at those last two games, yes, he ripped through Ohio State's defense running the ball, but his, the two playoff games, he had a 51% completion percentage. And that goes back to the beginning of the year where he struggled and made some very poor throws and choices. And so when you have that inconsistency, it worries me. And if, if they can, if a Fields can stack another season like the one he just did, I can easily see him going maybe number one overall, whereas Lawrence is in that same group, but maybe a step behind. I'm with you. It's consistency for me, too. As I watched Lawrence uh, his sophomore season, it was not the consistency that you want. He makes flash plays. He does that. He, he's Listen, he's comparable to Mekhi Becton for me. A guy who can make a flash play. For Beckton, it was a flash block here and there. Throw somebody around, make them look silly. Lawrence will do that, but then he will miss simple throws, simple hitches, simple out routes, things that, like you said, you know, so, but he should be completing those throws with ease, with regularity. He doesn't do it. Does he have a better year this year and lead people to say, I get it? The, comp- the picture is complete with three years of work? Maybe. But I'm like you. Right now, I see, and I know Fields has only played one year, and I'm going to be very fascinated by his next year, especially with two wide receivers who are really going to be coming into their own is in, and really he's going to have to bear more of the weight from a thrower's perspective, you know, losing JK Dobbins and kind of the running back position, although talented is in flux a little bit. So it's going to be fascinating to watch these two guys. I also, and I'm the furthest from a Buckeye Homer. I, I follow Ohio state. I pulled for them from a young age, but I didn't go to college there. And I've always been very neutral about the program. And to me though, I've been thoroughly impressed with fields and I think his consistency has been just a little bit better. And, 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 and this is just last year, but the consistency was a little bit better. So those two will make for fun. There's a North Dakota State kid that we'll talk about later down the line who's going to push those guys too. It should be a good quarterback class at the top end. should be fun. There's so much we could talk about, man. I could have you on for hours, but we've got to wrap up. <laughs> got to keep her moving, buddy. I appreciate you taking time tonight. Well, you'll have me on for hours. It will just be a little bit every single Wednesday, and it will all add up over time. That's right, man. We're looking forward to it. Thanks, Obo. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap on today's episode. We appreciate you joining us. Hopefully you enjoyed that interview with Sobo and enjoyed the uh, conversation about some key players coming up, not only through the Browns draft this year, but also in next year's draft. 
he will have a bevy of information to pass along to you guys throughout the year. So again, make sure you're following him and following his writing content now posting at the OBR. He will be on every week. If you ever have questions for him, let me know and we can get a mask on the show. Again, thanks for joining us. There will be not only a Jordan Elliott film room up is has is, is been up over the last few days. Fantastic stuff by John Stephenson. Go figure out. Uh, the Browns' new defensive tackle, his strengths and weaknesses, posted a, a quick video on the YouTube channel, the OBR YouTube channel, which is the OBR Film Breakdown. Go there, subscribe to that. You're going to get some good content all year, quick hitters. Got a quick hitter up there on Elliott that compliments John's film room. We are also going to be posting a Harrison Bryant film room that I have worked diligently on, breaking down a ton of games, a ton of different uh, angles as to who he is as a player, where he finds success, where he struggles. It'll be a really good read if you're a subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, make sure you're joining us and subscribe to this YouTube and podcast now that you're listening to with your earballs right now. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a review. We appreciate you guys, and we'll catch you soon. Go Browns.